I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, a weekly podcast on happiness and work culture. Hi, this is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about making work more enjoyable, about improving our work cultures. Today's episode is a live recording from Advertising Week Europe this week. It's not really about advertising. It's about bringing laughter back to our workplaces. Some incredible guests, and I'll introduce them shortly. If you like this, why not subscribe? Oh, that's free. Or you can slide down the page on Apple Podcasts and give it five stars. That single act, strangely enough, moves us up the charts and gives more people the prompt to listen. Failing that, send it to a friend. Leave it tucked under a neighbour's windscreen wipers. Anyway, here's the show from Advertising Week Europe 2018, a session called Bringing the Laughs Back. The recording was made on the power of audio stage and I merely make mention of that because there is a reference to it. Over the next 40, 50 minutes, we're going to be doing a live episode of my podcast, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. We've got a fantastic lineup for you. But just to make sure that everyone's in the mood, I thought we'd have a bit of audience participation. So when I shout power, you shout audio. Power. Audio. Power. Audio. Okay, let's make sure they hear this on the power of smell stage. So when I say power, you say audio. Power. Audio. Power. Good, right, okay, so we've got a, a fantastic lineup. I think the intention of the session really was that myself and Sue, who's going to be on the, the panel in a moment, have, um, have sort of started thinking that work's not as much fun as it used to be, right? I you're going to have to take this on trust. If you're sort of a millennial, you're going to have to accept that there was a world that was a lot more fun than this is now. And broadly, <laughs> My philosophy is that the way I judge this is I, I've, I know people who work at Google, right? When you Google best places to work, Google comes up. I don't know whether they fix that result, but that's that what happens. And I say to them, what's work like? They say, not much fun. And so that's my judge. If people at Google aren't enjoying it, then I'm guessing other people aren't enjoying it. Ask people at Facebook. They didn't seem to have much of a week either. So I'm, I'm guessing that work's not as much fun as it used to be. And in fact, myself and Sue created, that's the podcast, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. Um, myself and Sue created this manifesto. Eight changes to try and improve the way we're working. And none of these are a big deal. I mean, one of them is take a lunch, for God's sake. People who make your iPhone get a lunch break. But the rest of us are sort of struggling. We're not taking lunch breaks. We're sort of we're working too hard. And so we're in a situation where people are just not enjoying work the, the way they used to. And in fact, one of the weird consequences of that is, is workplace loneliness has gone up by 30% in the last uh, 15 years. People are lonely at work. And that's partly people who are working from home, partly people in the office who are just so committed to doing emails and meetings, they're not interacting with people. So one of the points we put on the manifesto, and you'll find the manifesto at newworkmanifesto.org. One of the points we put on the manifesto was laugh. And it's like one of the vital things that I think when we love our jobs, that we know that our jobs create for us, but we wanted to sort of bring it back. So hence, we've put a panel together that hopefully are going to try and resolve that for us. And I thought to kick us off, there was no better person than the, the first panellist. And so I'll introduce Professor Sophie Scott. Professor Sophie Scott gave a totally bewitching uh, BBC Christmas lecture about laughter, an extraordinary excursion into the power of laughter. 
Uh, Sophie Scott is a PhD in cognitive science, a senior fellow at University College London, specialises in speech and human communication. She's just had a journey from hell to get here. I don't think she's in the most lull mood. So we're, we're going to try and transform that. We're going to try and bring a bit of laughter back to Sophie's day. Please welcome Professor Sophie Scott. I think when I think about it, let me change the slide. I think when I think about it, laughter's definitely in the top three things that people do, right? It's like, it's one of the, the favorite things. And, but one thing you said was that you said, there's like 5,000 papers on fear and scientific papers on fear, and there's a hundred on laughter. Why don't we even study laughter? Why don't we try and understand it? I think it's almost invisible to us a lot of the time because I think it's like a default behaviour. It's a, you notice its absence. It's such a normal thing to do when you're with the people round whom you would lo normally laugh. It's it's like that you don't remember breathing together, you don't remember laughing together. You might remember what you said, but you don't remember the laughter that goes on around it because that's so normal. That's such a basic aspect of that interaction. So I, I suspect it's that. I think also scientifically, if you tell people I study laughter, people kind of hear you saying I study tinsel and Christmas decorations <laughs> and, um, you know, whiskers on kittens. So it's, it's, from a scientific perspective, I think people feel like you're letting the side down a bit and you're not studying proper science things, which are very, very serious things. They're not trivial and silly things. I think there's two things. I think there's a culture we almost don't notice it a lot of the time. And as scientists, it just does not feel like science. I mean, so what, what is laughter? I saw, a, I saw you describing the Christmas lecture. You, you said that laughter is a bit like dancing. It's more fun when we do it with other people yes. than do it on our own. Uh, what is laughter? It's uh, more like a different way of breathing than it is anything else. You just start using your intercostal muscles in a very different way than you do when you're all breathing, which you're doing right now to stay alive, or when you're breathing for speech, as I'm doing now. When you laugh, you start to produce these large contractions of your chest wall. It just squeezes air out of you. So it's a very primitive way of making a sound. And it's a sound that we associate with humour. So if you ask people about laughter, when do you laugh? They'll talk about comedy and jokes and humour. If you look at people, and this is work done by Robert Provine, if you watch people and watch when they laugh, we primarily laugh simply because we're around other people. It's primed by other people being there. You're 30 times more likely to laugh if there's somebody else with you than if you're on your own. And you'll laugh more if you know those people and you'll laugh more if you like those people. So it's... It's social and it's, it's a signifier of the kind of social connection you might have with somebody. And a lot of the time, it's just straightforward communication. It's very rarely actually in normal conversations we're laughing at jokes. I mean, we do laugh at jokes, but most of the time we're laughing to show that we, we know each other and we understand each other and we like each other and we know we, we're kind of getting references and seeing allusions. Because I saw you use this quote by W.H. Auden. Among the things I... So my American colleagues would ask you to unpack this. Yes. So should we unpack this? Among those I like, I admire, I can find no common denominator. But amongst those who I love, I can. All of them make me laugh. Now, I think your take on that is that he's got it right, but wrong in some ways, right? Exactly, yes. So that sort of sense that you, you love people because they make you laugh. I think it's, it's describing a real thing, but it's describing it almost in exactly the wrong direction. We laugh around people because we love them. Laughter can be a really true sign of somebody's real feelings for you. If, you can, if somebody will make you laugh when no one else can make you laugh, that is telling you something about how you feel about that person. And similarly, if someone never makes you laugh... Um, you know, I, I have a relative who's always kind of laughs really inappropriately and I always thought she laughs really inappropriately. And I realised when I started working on laughter, she's laughing perfectly normally. I don't join in because I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, we don't have that kind of relationship. So it's, it's, that, that's, in fact, I'm attributing something to her doing something wrong and it's me. I'm describing my right, reaction. Okay. And that's what Auden's doing there. He's describing how he feels about the people that he loves. He's describing that kind of connection that he has and that makes him want to laugh around them. You do this brilliant thing where I, th I think you describe in the Christmas lecture, you describe uh, the, how play um, is this universal thing that all animals do. And in fact, you, you, you show that when dogs have their two <laughs> front legs down, that's the sig signal that no harm will happen here. Yeah, yeah. And you say laughter ha plays a similar role, the sort of signals no harm will pass here. I think that's it. So play is really important to mammals. All mammals play and some mammals like us and dogs and otters carry on playing throughout their whole lives. And it can be such an ambiguous behaviour. The same thing 
the same behaviour, if it wasn't playful, could just be violent. So what, what we do is we mark play. We show people that we're playing. We do it with what's called play face. It's very, very hard to do it in human adults, but it's a kind of loose, open, happy smile. Right. There's a video going viral at the moment of a baby elephant who runs over and sits on a woman, and that elephant's got play face on. It's like, oh, I'm going to get you. And um, it's probably slightly different for the woman. But, um, <laughs> so, and when there's, a, when there's a sound associated with that, it's laughter. And so Pankskep, who's done some of the work on animal laughter, says that it's heart. It's like an invitation to play. Let's do this fun activity. And play, is, it's very hard to define play, but it's got this notion of I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to eat you. I'm not going to try and mate with you. This is fun, harmless, pointless, enjoyable stuff that we might learn something from. That's why it matters to us. But it's, uh, it's in, it, you cannot overestimate how important play is to mammals. And I think from that perspective, play and laughter probably is a really important part of our day-to-day activity. You can think maybe of conversations in which we laugh being playful things for adult humans. And so back to the work of Robert Provine then that you mentioned. Robert Provine sort of goes through all the things that have triggered workplace instances of laughter. <laughs> and it's often like, it's Jeff's turn. It's, it's <laughs> you know, good luck with that. They're really unfunny things, right? Yes. And so in a work environment, when we are using laughter just to, to try and... I guess we're, what, try and signal that we're bonded as a group. Is that what we're doing? I think so. And because people won't laugh in all situations. So you won't laugh around people you dislike. And you won't laugh if you're feeling a bit exposed and a bit like, I don't quite know where we're going with this. So I can guarantee I could take any of us to a, see a common comedian that you really like. And if I sat you in the audience and then said, enjoy the show, I'm just going to shine this light brightly on your face and watch and see when you laugh, you will stop laughing. And I know because I've tried this. <laughs> I found that the hard way. And you get it with rats. Rats stop laughing if they feel anxious and uh, not quite sure what's going on. And humans do the same thing. So... It's a sign if people are laughing that they're not in that anxious state. It's a sort of, you know, it's a marker that the group's in a good place. So I think it's useful in that respect as well. And also people will, if they can, and they feel a, they have the right kind of connection that people they're with, people will use laughter to turn around difficult situations, to improve mood. And it only works if everybody does it. So groups who can do that together can, can be more cohesive. There is a literature on workplace humour for professions that have quite stressful jobs like doctors and police and nurses and they tend to be characterised by pretty dark humour that's quite exclusive if you don't you're not part of that group you can be a bit like surprised you're laughing at that but for that group it works because it's just a reason for them to share laughter right in situations where they might need to make things better. What, so is it, is it a coping mechanism partly and a bonding mechanism? Exactly, partly? and it's the two together. So if we can cope with this together, it actually helps us bond together. So the thing that's interesting about laughter is that it's never just one person emitting it and somebody else detecting it and going, oh, I see that they are feeling affiliated to me. You react to it and join in with it. So it, if, you are, if you are part of that, you feel like you're part of that group. So you're seeing it both as an emotional expression and as a social bonding phenomenon that, that you sort of sets up a feedback because the more you feel part of that group the more likely you are to laugh with it the more likely other people are to laugh when you laugh so it just continues to reinforce it right. and and so laughing like you've sort of hinted at there laughing like yawning is contagious right yes and so yes. can you get workplaces that are more laughter orientated or I would have to assume so because you can definitely have situations. I mean, certainly there are big cultural differences. Um, people, there are parts of the world where it's simply rude to laugh in public. There's people will laugh at home in Japan, for example, but in the workplace, it would be offensively yeah, rude, right. and people don't do it. And anecdotally, people from the UK who've worked in Russia find that they're considered to be a bit too smiley in the workplace. <laughs> like they're trying to get laughter going, and people are like, "Oh, I don't think so." You know, and it's that's that's anecdote. That's not data, but that's certainly at a kind of world level is something you can see variation. So it makes sense that you know within a country, within a city, within probably on this street, there will be places where people feel more or less comfortable sharing laughter at work. And I think it's it matters because of its it's like a tell laughter. If you the presence of laughter is a sign that people are in a particular level of comfort and intimacy with the people that they're around. And it doesn't mean people turning up going, oh, I've got my Apple Watch, peering with an Apple strapped to them, you know, Apple's latest timepiece, that kind of hilarious guy at the office. It's not that we're describing. It's just actual the presence of laughter at all. 
Right, okay, so we're going to bring on the, the rest of our guests to sort of extend the panel. So let me do an intro for, for the guests. So um, first up is Sue Todd. Sue is the CEO of Mag Magnetic, an organisation that markets the magazine industry and is the co-creator with me of the, the New Work Manifesto, which is just a free WordPress website. I mean, let's not make a big deal about it. Uh, <laughs> Paul Coleman is a partner at Humanize, real-life insight and innovation agency. Trained, he's trained thousands of people how to raise creativity and solve cultural challenges. In his spare time, he writes comedy. And uh, not only is he a BAFTA winner, he's a BAFTA winner for Car Share, but also he got nominated this morning for uh, the, the, uh, another BAFTA for Car Share. So uh, Paul Coleman will join us. Jeff Lloyd. Jeff Lloyd is best known for his, his appearances on Virgin and Absolute Radio. But he's sort of creating his own podcast empire, a drift that he runs with Annabelle, uh, Annabelle Giles. Ports uh, is a comic tragedy for anyone flailing in a sea of inadequacy. And he won the Best Podcast of the Year award for his reasons to be cheerful that he creates with Ed Miliband. And I think he's building even more as we speak. So please welcome the panellists. OK, so a um, little bit of interaction before we start, because Bruce and I's hypotheses may be flawed. We don't think it is, but we'd love to hear a little bit from you. So um, can you stick your hand up if you've had a job or been in a work environment for kind of eight plus years? Anybody under years? Don't OK, OK, so most people in the room have had a job. No, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. So keep your hand up if you think there is less humour, less laughter happening at work. OK, all right. So Bruce is my Keith Chegwin this morning. I'm going to come over and ask some of you what you think is going on. Bruce, there's a lady there, I can see, but eight rows back. You've kept your hand up. So you, what's your, what's your theory? What's your theory? So I think there's less laughter. Yeah, what, what's your theory about why? Well, it might be because I've got more senior the longer I've been in work. Oh, and really? therefore okay. I can't laugh. Okay. Okay, okay. problems okay. of success. Okay. So Anyone less successful who wants to explain <laughs> why it works, less fun. Here we go. I think there's too many headphones in and people working okay, in isolation. Okay. So we just don't talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. Not just literally not enough, not enough banter, yeah. not enough chat, not enough interactions. And actually, I think as well, when people do have fun for those five minutes, people kind of then feel this sudden moment of guilt. Oh, God, people think I'm not working. Yeah. Why? So, Why? Do you think that's changed? Do you think we've got more obsessed with worrying about what people think of us? In yeah, terms of without a doubt. Productivity? Yeah. Yeah. Than, than even like five, ten years ago? Without a doubt, yeah. Wow, that's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> and I think people are scared to say what they think sometimes as well. Okay. Because okay. obviously the PC kind of, oh yep. God, if I'd said what I said where I work there now, people would just think I'd gone crazy or something. Okay, okay. But it's like a vicious circle, isn't it? Because I guess if you don't break the mould and get a level of trust, then you can't have humour. So it's really difficult, isn't it? Again. I checked yeah. someone um, this week who was, who was talking about open plan offices and how he said open plan offices sort of knock the corners off things. And so like, if you're in a group of four people... Um, if you're, you're in a group of four people, then you'll be honest and you'll be a real version of yourself. If you're on this vast floor of 200 people, you sort of, you're slightly more adapted version. So, so maybe that's it, sort of worrying that you're going to upset people for saying something. That you're outside of your trust circle, I guess, in a way. It's kind of too big a, too big a risk. So I'm going to give my first question, I guess, for, for, for Jeff and Paul, who I know, in the interest of disclosure, which I've absolutely always wanted to say in public, <laughs> bar, bar Sophie, who I haven't worked with and would love to work with, I've actually worked with everyone else in some capacity capacity uh, over speak. my career and we still speak <laughs> and occasionally lull together so um yeah my first question really is i mean my pick up from sophie is that you know laughter is about connection rather than about humor um do we feel less connected i mean bruce's point about open plan was meant to increase connection email and digital technology is meant to increase connection are we, are we what's gone wrong are we less connected did you get that sense i think i think we think we're probably more connected but I think we're fooling ourselves because we're, we never switch off when we're on social media with our work colleagues and Facebook, you know, wishing them happy birthday. It comes up, it pops up, and I've got to wish you that. So I think we think we're more connected, so I think we're fooling ourselves. Yeah. But what we're not doing is picking up that phone or going round the corner in that office and going face-to-face -face and yeah. have a conversation. Yeah. So all the, all the things that were meant to make us more connected have sort of done the opposite. They, they'd make us on a shallow level connected, but on a deep level less connected. Is that 
Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. And I think because we, we think we're connected with a wider group of people. Yeah. And you never let any people go. So you move from one job to the next job. Or I move in terms of working on one TV thing to the next TV thing. You think, oh, well, I'll stay in touch with that runner from that. We'll, we'll like each other on, on, on Twitter. We'll follow each other on Facebook. Yeah. And you think you're more connected than you are. But yeah. you don't really need all that noise in your life. That sounds negative about that poor runner. He's a really nice guy. He's yeah, lovely, yeah. But sure he is. <laughs> it helped you with a BAFTA. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, what do you think? Well, there's something interesting in what Sophie says about laughter being this social cue. Yeah. And if I think, oh, why am I getting my laughs from these days? It's a lot of the time it's from memes and people being funny on Twitter. Yeah. And um, you, you've talked about that thing where if you're sitting watching a sitcom with your spouse or your mate or whatever, you're more likely to laugh out loud than you are if you're watching it on your own. Yeah. And surely that's got to apply to the way that we're interacting on social media as well. You know, we're all typing lol, but how many yeah. of us are really lolling yeah. or rofflemowing? <laughs> or, we're lolling in silence. Yeah, yeah, internalising. Internalising yeah. or lolling, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, have you, have you, do you sense in terms of the jobs that you do that there's a change? I mean, do you feel it? Do you feel like these people in the audience do, that it's... Less fun? Is that because you're more successful as well? Or is well, I'm in my loft on my own most of the time doing podcasts, <laughs> so it's difficult to have yeah. a sense. But you, I mean, in terms of like, you know, you've been a, you've been, you know, a really successful broadcaster. Yeah. You used to go into <laughs> Absolute's offices and various radio stations' offices. And I guess one part of what you do is there's an element of banter with the co-presenter. Yes. I mean, does there have to be an atmosphere around where the trust is high and the humour's going for you to generate a great show and I think so I mean yeah. it's, a, it's a very particular thing isn't it a, yeah. a radio show or a podcast because that's a workplace but to some extent you're trying to create an atmosphere that then feels contagious to the people listening to it mm, yeah. so it, it's it's quite unique yeah. in a way because your workplace has to feel um, like somewhere people want to be like they feel like they're part of a club where but they, is it, is it humor that does that though is that what disarms people and increases that trust and yeah, makes th people th relax both the listener and the I think absolutely it is yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and you know you've got to be good at that or you've got to be good at faking it yeah, okay. some people are. Okay, yeah. and, and and Sophie, just to pick up back on your point about, I mean, I'm really interested in this point about signalling, mm. and the idea that it's kind of you know once you've laughed a couple of times, you're pretty much saying to people, I'm okay, it's all right, the trust's gone up, we can play, we can yeah. take some risks. Does is there a correlation between if there's less laughter, there's probably less risk taking? Which is, I guess, an issue for us in all work environments because we all know we need to, you know, come up with new ideas and break, you know, change change things all the time. That's the kind of mantra. I'd have to point you back to the fact that there's very little research into laughter full stop. Sadly, yeah, so it's entirely yeah. possible that there is, but literally yeah. nobody's looking at it. Right. So um, it is, it's entirely possible that the... the, the ch there are really interesting studies on married couples showing that people can sort of negotiate stressful situations into a positive direction by how they use laughter together. They have to both laugh. One person's going, oh, it's very irritating when I do that. And the first person's going, it's a massive problem. You know, no one feels better. But <laughs> Divorce can, you know, And I think those studies are really interesting. And in fact, those couples stay together for longer and they're happier. And I don't think it's limited to romantic relationships. I think that's describing a kind of an emotional connection you could have with someone, possibly even transiently, yeah. who can kind of negotiate a better mood together. It would certainly suggest that laughter is something that you could be using to fundamentally regulate the emotional state of a group of people in a direction where other things might then be possible. Okay, okay. Paul, you work, one, one part of your world, we'll come on to the second part of your world in a second, your BAFTA award-winning world, is helping companies and working with businesses on play and creativity and ideas generation. Can you see the correlation between this kind of humourless or less joyful, less laughter-based environment and what you're trying to do for people? Yeah, I mean, on one part, as we, if we go into these organisations over the last five, six years, you've kind of noticed... Um, levels of fun, I want to give it a label, have kind of deteriorated. But I think that goes back to the point of they're, they're much more connected. They're, there's less willingness to shut down the laptop, to, to put the phone to one side and be in the room and lean into those sessions. Yeah. But when we're running those sessions, we're, it's, it's kind of, even though it's a creative session, you go, let's, have, let's, let's all be playful here. You start with rules on creativity because you need to get everybody going along in the same path, going along on the same journey. So they all have to agree to go, we're going to be like this. So you kind of do fast track, fast track to the bonding that you talk about. Yeah. So if it's kind of getting that, that group that may not know each other very well, may not work with each other every day, but getting to fast track to be in a good space, to be playful and to have fun and therefore then the creativity comes. Mm -hmm. But allowing them to, to fail in that room is really important. Mm -hmm. And that's in both worlds, mm -hmm. whether that's teaching creativity, whether that's being writing comedy, you've got to go, 
this will be crap, it doesn't matter, we'll get to a good point with this. If we don't start with something, we'll never get anywhere. And being able to laugh at that's rubbish and not taking that to heart is really important, I think. I get that when you're on an away day, when you're away somewhere and when you're all together. And Bruce's point I think is really valid about what happens when you sit at a different desk every day? You know, now we've got more remote working, now we've got different sort of sharing of desks and we don't all sit together. I'm just, you don't get the day-to-day -day interactions in, in, in businesses and teams as much as you used to, do you? So you get the kind of forced bit when you're off-site, but you don't get the kind of... I guess it's just slower to build that level of trust and inject that laughter-based well, environment. People like the, the average British person does 16 hours a week of meetings, right, and 140 emails. So you always feel like you're a bit guilty. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. And you blame yourself for it, right? Yeah. So it's like, oh, my God, I'm so behind on all that stuff yeah. that... Messing around and laughing would feel like you're sort of taking the piece of it. There was a bit of judgment going on in one corner of the room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jeff, in terms of like um, the craft then of trying to kind of making sure you've kind of got something that once you transfer it to on air, whether it's a podcast or a radio show, it's gonna, gonna work and gonna have that element of banter and humor. How do you make sure the presenter or the co-presenter or the person you're working with is someone you can do that with? Can, do you just know because you meet with a pub? I think you just know. Yeah. Um, so radio stations will often they'll launch a new breakfast show and they'll say, okay, we've got to look for you know the funny person and the cynical person and the person who's the head teacher. And I, I think you know often when they cast it like that, it, it ends up feeling really phony. Yeah. I think it's much better. Like everything I've ever done, it's just been, you find somebody you have a bit of a click with and yeah. you think, oh, what could we make out of this then? Yeah. Which yeah. is how the podcast with Ed Miliband came about. He came on the radio show. Tell us how you met Ed Miliband. Well, <laughs> he came on the radio show in the, the run-up to the 2015 election. Yeah. And I'd seen him kind of speak at a couple of events and he'd take questions from the audience and he'd be really natural and funny. Yeah. But when I saw him on Newsnight, you know, he wasn't coming across like that at all mm. so I thought well is there a way of drawing that side out of him in, in, yeah. in the interview yeah. which it did and it went um, I heard a good phrase the other day it didn't go viral it's overstating it but it went a little bit fungal <laughs> so it's <laughs> not my phrase somebody, somebody said that to me um, and, and then you know when I was thinking about what I wanted to do next I just thought oh, well there was there was something in that so when yeah. I went to Ed with the idea yeah. it was partly because I thought he'd be a good fit for the idea yeah. but partly because there, there was a bit of a click and when those things don't come along that often yeah. so yeah. you've got to sort of think of think but of a way but it's really interesting that podcast it. isn't it and I think Bruce mentioned that it won the Press uh, Writers Best Podcast Award just a couple of weeks ago you, yes. you and Ed and it's called Reasons to be Cheerful and so the subject matters serious issues that we all face I listened to the one just this week on homelessness and how you can you know how in Finland they've got rid of it and some ideas to do it here so it's really <laughs> serious topics with you know the, a previous you know very senior politician but there's loads of banter and humor in it so I just wonder whether back to that lady's point up there about you know we're in serious times we don't feel we can laugh as much actually we need it more than we need it more than ever I wonder as well you know that, that thing that Ed obviously had work face on right right we're, we're sort of going yeah. to be sort of like serious performative seriousness yeah and like sometimes it's impossible to escape it you feel like I sort of you know this is really earnest I've got to go into this yeah well, he will talk about that. He will talk about the fact when he was, when he was leader, it was almost like there was a six-second delay in his head. Mm. So thinking, okay, if I say that, will it be made out of a headline? Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just it, even now, he went on Nick Robinson's podcast a few weeks ago, and towards the end, Nick Robinson said, uh, so Arnold Schwarzenegger then in the uh, Terminator, what was his catchphrase? And Ed quite innocently says, oh, I'll be back. And then the BBC News website run a headline which yeah. says, I'll be back, Miliband plotting a return to frontline Get politics. Out. No, seriously. It must yeah. be like, once you've been snapped eating a bacon sandwich and it's become <laughs> a bleeding meme across the world, you must be like, uh, I'm never going to do anything. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's, I think something that frustrates him, like every week we get a ton of email from new listeners who will say, God, if I'd known you were like this, I would have voted for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think he feels like he was always like that. He was just never yeah. given the room to be himself. So yeah. Yeah. creating environments is an important thing. And, and with this podcast, it is sort of quite meaty topics, but I didn't want it to feel like something that was just for policy wonks and people who read like long reads in broadsheet newspapers. Yeah. I wanted it to be the sort of people who sort of listen to TED Talks or get their news from the Daily Show. Yeah. So the front part of that is the first 10 minutes or eight minutes or whatever it is, is just us kind of chatting about our weeks or our reasons to be cheerful to, to create an environment yeah. which yeah. doesn't feel intimidating to people. Mm. To have a more honest debate, maybe, yeah. or a more yeah. useful or authentic yeah. debate. Yeah. So if we could just transfer that into our daily works, but I guess we've got these problems in the way, haven't we? We've got the problem where you sat with a different person maybe every day, or like you say, you're, you feel like you're projecting to 200 people in open plan offices. Is there a case for going back to putting the walls 
walls back up, do you think? Yeah. Places? Shall we? Yeah. You can't yeah. it, put the walls back up. Yeah. He'd say that because he hates people. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Actual people. <laughs> I love that. So we promised lols, didn't we? We've had a couple. But I think almost to guarantee at least one other smile, I'm going to play the, the cheap gag of actually showing a clip of car share. Because, uh, and then I'm going to talk to Paul a little bit about the, the craft of coming up with something um, like this. So if you could just run the clip. Well, that's not much of an away day, staying in work. It's not all day either. It's only 11 till 3. <laughs> it's like a long lunch. What's on your agenda? Um, this one's about team building, <laughs> trust strategies and motivational role play. What a load of hoopty. Why? Well, it is. Just a waste of money. I'm sure it could be put to better use. Like? Well, the vending machine's been stuck on Scotch broth since the Olympics. <laughs> and the disabled toilet's got a crack in it. I nicked my bum twice last week. You shouldn't even be using it. Oh, come on, we've all done it. I've not. Job's worth. <laughs> so, Paul, you've got a kind of dual perspective here. I mean, congratulations on the BAFTA. Um, tell, out of curiosity, when you, you've got another job, I mean, how do you make sure when it comes to the bit about trying to write comedy, you're in the right mindset? And, and do you have to kind of, back to Jeff's point, create a certain environment to be in the mood for any form of creative writing and, and creative humour and comedy? You do, yeah. I mean, you, you kind of, um, you try and get yourself in that, in that good place, but sometimes you sit there and you go, it's not happening today. And then you've got to just think, either walk away or force something and then look at it the day after and go, what was I thinking? This right, is just, right, this right. Is just rubbish. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you, sometimes you, you, I mean, sometimes you've got a deadline, you've got to force yourself to do it. Yeah. Um, but it's hard when it's not there. So it's, it's kind of hard in that way when you're on your own yeah. to create that environment that feels right. So if we get together with Sean and Peter, get together and write, so some days we just end up looking at YouTube clips. That'd be it. Right. Right. Just to get, just to change just to the go, atmosphere. just to change the atmosphere. Yeah. Go, we're not, the writing's not there, so let's just have a laugh and look at these and enjoy our company, and then we'll talk about some plot lines, and then we'll come back to those later in the week or next week. Right, because you can't fake it. You can't, no. Yeah. And that's you know, but also allowing ourselves to be a bit bored in that situation is really important because that ups our curiosity. Yeah. If we're just sat there going, well, we've only written three lines, we need to write four lines, we need yeah. to write five lines, yeah. and there's some kind of measurement to, to go on with. You're allowing yourself to be curious and look at other things. Um, gives you that, um, feeds that, the other work, I yeah, think. Yeah. But that doesn't happen in a workplace. So when I go into the other world, nobody's allowed to be bored. If you, you walk past them and they're just looking, to, looking out the window, yeah. it's kind of, you're thinking, why are we paying but, them? But I yeah. think work used to be like that. I think that might be back to the lady's point earlier. I think that might be one of the problems. I think this need for productivity and to look pressurised and look like we're constantly busy and not kind of slightly feet up, reading something, taking something in that would act as stimulus in terms of mm. both ideas, but also just a bit more of a relaxed atmosphere where a bit of chat might happen. I mean, there's I, a danger though. A there's a danger because you could have those people who just like spend the day looking at YouTube videos, yeah. <laughs> pretending that they're actually going, <laughs> being curious found, and I'm getting this. But they'll get found out eventually, <laughs> they will get won't found they? Out, yeah. I always just say, you'll get found out eventually if all you do is mm. watching YouTube videos. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I think we've probably lost something in creating that sort of slightly more relaxed, even if it's for 15 minutes a day. Mm. But especially if you're doing 140, instead of the YouTube videos, it's 140 emails a day. Yeah. It's just a, oh, yeah, at least yeah. it's a slightly better climate that you're working in, right? Yeah, totally, sort of... totally. Slightly personal question. Were you funny at work before you were funny on school? I worked with you two, so maybe you should answer that. Jeff, what do you think? Was Paul funny at work? <laughs> I worked with Paul during my alcoholism, so my memories of those years are a little... Uh, what I love is that we were chatting before, and both of you attribute the other one for introducing you to the internet. Yeah. Who introduced was... who to the internet? So I thought it was Jeff. I tell people it's Jeff Lloyd showed me the internet. But so I think it's my go-to story. <laughs> but I think the internet was on your desk. Maybe it wasn't. So by default. I didn't realise it was there. Yeah, you yeah. just came and said, you've got this internet thing. Yeah. There's a way to estrange half the audience. The internet was on Paul's desk. <laughs> yeah, it was. No just, one in the building there was one, one that even means. Would <laughs> <laughs> so, Sophie, do you, I mean, you work in an academic environment. Yeah. Uh, and obviously you're one of the, the people who's done these hundred pieces of research about laughter. Can you see on a day-to-day -day practical level the challenges of work and less humour and interactions? Does it feel like, practically speaking, it's also an issue for you with your colleagues? Um, I, well, it, it, for me, it, it is difficult because it's I've, I've, as I've got older, I've got more senior, so I'm a professor now. And people, right. it's just, it's got a it's different got to be humorless. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. people have different expectations, it right. turns out. Right. Um, but it's... 
I'd certainly, within, because all you've really got control over in academia is your, your lab and your students. And I try, try to keep an atmosphere going where we make a lot of time to do things that would be, you know, we, we, go, we, have, our, we have a journal club, we go and do it at the zoo. Oh, okay. Um, so okay. then we go and look at the otters because we like otters. Yeah. <laughs> like long mammals. We go and see the long mammals at the zoo. <laughs> Meerkats, mongooses, otters. To be fair, and they look like they're having more fun at the <laughs> zoo. They are awesome, yeah. actually. And it's quite a deliberate strategy just to sort of get people's head out of the sitting at their computer all the time and have, a situ- have just a place where people, we can have a, I mean, I, can't, I feel slightly unwell even saying it, but you know, well, we can have some fun. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. we talk about some work and then we go and talk about otters. And it's just, it's, just it's a quite a deliberate strategy on my part to try and have that sort of emotional tone in the lab and I won't I took a decision a few years ago that I wasn't going to work with people I didn't like yeah and that was because life is just too short and it tears everything to pieces if there's one person in the lab it's not everyone else doesn't get on with yeah so that's that it, it's implicitly kind of trying to foster a situation where situations where laughter can happen and people are doing stuff other than work yeah. are built into the work week. Yeah, yeah, you you yeah. mentioned play before. and like, it, I, I worry with the word play. Anytime we think of play at work, it's all a bit beardy. No offence to beards, Jeff. It's all a bit sort of, it's like, let's go to a ball pit in Hoxton. And now all, we're having play. Yeah. We're all playing around. We're having great yeah. ideas. And it just feels, it actually sort of turns a lot of people off. How do you bring a bit of that stupidity and, and idea creation and, and play, let's use the word, to an office without using the word play? Well, I suppose you've got to be able to read the room and work out what would work for those people because, you, as you say, you just can't force it. Like, yeah. you know, the kind of that everyone... People frequently have quite an ab reaction, somebody turning up with, like, red noses and, oh, let's be hilarious. And it's... You, you've got to maybe almost trick people into it by presenting it as something else. Sometimes that's what I frankly do at work. Don't do something I assume will be fun for people, but we don't frame it that way initially. And it's... Um, it's got the bottom line has to be it's something that you are reading as being appropriate and it's a social skill being able to do that interestingly if you look at people's ability to identify and understand social laughter like how people use laughter in conversations that's something that continues improving throughout your entire early adult life performance doesn't peak until people are in their late 30s and the other stuff that correlates with that the other not most stuff that we do is in place by the time you hit puberty or in place by the time your brain's fully matured at the end of your teens and then it gracefully declines some things continue improving and laughter is one of them but other the other things that go with it are things like empathy and social skills so that because you learn about them in interactions with other people so it's not something that works out of the box it's something you learn how to do and you can get better at doing and you learn by doing it. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because if people are laughing less at work and chatting less at work, then maybe that's not evolving in the same way, right? It's or they're getting more possible. senior and it's almost wiping it out. So kind of in yeah. theory, more senior people should be more skilled mm. and, and understand the value of creating an environment where... And they can be. I mean, you can think of examples of senior people who are very, very good at using yeah. like, humour. I mean, yeah. Bill Clinton was phenomenally good at using laughter. There's that whole bit thing where Yeltsin's doing a speech and screaming at the press, and Bill, Bill Clinton reacts, this is from the 90s, reacts as if he's being funny and just starts laughing. Yeah. And in the end, Yeltsin starts laughing like, I am very funny, and everyone's <laughs> laughing. And it completely changes the mood to a completely okay. deliberate act on, on, on yeah. Clinton's part. Yeah. And that's, so a lot of what we think of as sort of charming... Even high-status behaviour can involve very cleverly using laughter and play yeah, to make, yeah. uh, make people feel comfortable, make difficult situations better. Because a high-status person, people will follow if yeah. they do that. So, Jeff, back to Ed, do you think that's... I mean, has he ever recognised, or would you think that that's what maybe he should have done? That if he had his time again, showed a little bit more of his sense of humour and a little bit more of his kind of vulnerability, and he might have done all right, better. Yeah, I think... Uh, sorry, I, I made a weird noise then. I've got a slight <laughs> back pain. And when oh. I said, yeah, it sort of came out. I was, yeah. Um, <laughs> I lifted my son up yesterday and it's really done for oh. me. I'm a real soldier for being here today. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, maybe. I think, you know, I think he... he has seen the value in yeah. being a bit looser. A bit more relaxed. But it can feel weird when it comes from the top down yeah. as yeah. well. Like, yeah. work pla- like different places I've worked in, yeah. when it feels like the culture of the place is just having a laugh yeah. and, um, and, and, you know, being funny with your workmates, yeah. that, that can 
feel feel good and feel like oh this is a special place to work and maybe they pay you a bit less yeah. or expect a bit more of you yeah. but then sometimes if it feels like the boss you know once a week needs to write the wacky email or whatever yeah. it, it, it can be a bit cringy yeah. so you worked yeah. for Chris Evans didn't you in the sort of the virgin takeover days yeah it? that was an interesting he, one he, well he was like the definitive wacky boss that I think every newspaper would look at yeah was, was that the experience it was like a wacky well, kind of it was a work. weird thing because even though he owned the radio station he, he did his breakfast show and then he wasn't that hands-on he just had some kind of bosses to run it um and he would kind of take the piss out of them. As, and so he, he almost felt like, even though he was the owner, like this anti-establishment mm. figure. So you'd be the, the famous one is um, one day, I think it was a Tuesday, it's about 11 o'clock and an email goes around the whole company from Chris's PA saying, um, uh, Chris has bought a new shirt and wants to celebrate, so everyone to the pub. <laughs> and then just like the whole company decamps to the pub next door, his credit card's behind the bar and then no work got done for the rest of the day. What was the shirt like? <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, you know, predictably wacky. Right. Sure yeah, very, yeah, yeah. very floral. Um, but we, we talked about this last week, didn't we? That booze is so integral in British work. You know, when you think of the times you've had a laugh at work, there's so often booze involved mm. and sort of the, the uh, pros and cons of that. Now we just got fuzzball. No, we? Well, I yeah. presume that the booze thing is like we're spending time together, we're getting to like each other, we're laughing more, and then booze helps that laughter. But actually, booze is quite exclusive as well, isn't it? Sort of the, you often don't notice the couple of people slinking off and not coming to the pub. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had it since so I've been sober for 17 years, I think, and uh, I've, I've become a terrible misanthrope. I never go to anything. I remember <laughs> going to a... Because, you know, you feel like you have to turn up. I remember going to the works Christmas party a few years ago, and I just didn't want to go. So I thought, I wonder if I can stay for 20 minutes. But in that 20 minutes, I'll take so many selfies that I'll put them <laughs> up on Facebook, and it'll look like I had this really wild night <laughs> so that was i managed it and people like oh great night last night nobody noticed you left after 20 minutes no, That's a, all drunk. yeah it's yeah. a big benefit of social media i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a tiny bit more audience interaction before we finish. We're coming to the end. So, Bruce, back, back up. So, hands up who has a table tennis table Fuzzball, you know, one of those table footballs or table tennis in their office. Yeah, a couple of people. You think football. they're good? Yeah. I think, I think table tennis, well, I'll ask yeah, you, but ask, I think they're, they're like the new, you don't have to be work, mad to work here, yeah, but totally. it helps. My theory they? is that that kind of forced fun and that has replaced genuine interaction humour. What's, what's your view? Yeah, so I, I work for Lego. Um, okay. Bruce, we've been Must be mad there. A little bit there. It's, um, <laughs> so it is, it is mad, but I think the play thing is really interesting. So the foosball table is in the middle of the office. Yeah. It's on one of our uh, more open plan areas. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, any of those kind of game opportunities, any of the opportunities you bring kind of play into the office, I think, is where you see exactly what you're saying. People breaking down barriers and being more empathetic with one another. Because, yeah. you know, so much, in, you know, we reflect on this all the time doing what we do, right? We make toys. So yeah, yeah. that uh, should be hopefully part of the culture. Yeah, yeah. And it's, 
you know, play is absolutely you know one of the biggest reasons for for doing it. But it shouldn't just be about foosball tables or you know, kind yeah. of going mm. abseiling with Malcolm. We've got a bit over reliant on them. That's my worry that they've become the default. I mean, you know, I'm just interested if anyone's got any other experiences of things yeah. That and I saw that it. Slack said that they don't have those things. You know, Slack the sort of the message gap. Yeah. Because they said they wanted people to leave at six o'clock, mm-hmm. and and almost it was sort of t- they were to try to make work feel like this fun environment and. I think increasingly the fact that we don't have a separation between work and home space is what's causing some of the strains of work, right? Anyone else got a perspective on that? Yeah, the whole ping pong thing, um, what, what it's done in my experience is create a, 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 a kind of a culture of ping pong bullies. <laughs> so you sort of go there and you want to have a go and think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll get involved in this. This would be great to meet some people and whatever. And then eventually you get played off the park by a, by a millennial who's been on it all day. Just another way to feel inadequate. And now I just feel genuinely intimidated when yeah. I step out the lift and there's people there with their tops been backhand serves <laughs> and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And actually it's had the exact opposite effect I okay. Think, on, okay. on most other people. Yeah. So what has replaced the kind of the banter that we're observing, I think, as, as reduced in the workplace? It's not football and table football. I mean, what's your sense of... Because forced fun, in my experience, never seems to work. And I yeah. think you were alluding to that earlier. But yeah. What's replaced it? Bruce, on your, I'll ask you guys as well. You talked about Crisp Tuesday on a podcast recently. Do you want to just explain yeah, that? Yeah, but I was just... I'm interested in, like, these little things. Like, it, the problem with modern work is that unless you can measure it, people think it's got no value. And yeah. so these sort of mm. stupid things where, you know, if you ask someone to analyse their favourite meeting of the week, often a lot of works that seem to have a good culture seem to have these sort of irrelevant Friday afternoon meetings or Monday meetings or crisp Thursdays, the one I heard, where people turn up and it's like, there's almost no, no agenda. Purpose, yeah. And actually all you end up doing, because there's no agenda, it's quite trivial, and there's like a brief update of what's happened in the office that week. They end up having a brief chat with people around the office who then they build like a bit of rapport. Sort of replaces the pub a bit. Mm. But of course, if someone looks at the output of that and there's, there's all these rubbish status meetings that unfortunately give meetings a bad name. But, you know, so as a result, someone looks at that and says, well, that's the one we're going to get rid of. Missing the fact that mm. that was the one that made the magic. Yeah. That was the one that actually made you like yeah. other people. Yeah. So that's the common thread, I think, from what you guys were saying. Your, your observation about writing with Peter and Chan and it being kind of, if it's not working, let's just put some YouTube, let's just relax, let's yeah. take the pressure mm off that we're not it's not happening today and I guess the same when you're devising a show you know we've got to go out and do it but if it's not you know, let's just kind of relax ourselves down a bit and create a different atmosphere I Take remember, the pressure remember interviewing a neuroscientist I can't remember who it was um, but saying that actually your best ideas come when you you know that mode your brain can get into where you eventually shit what was I thinking of there yeah. that's that's the best um, phase that your brain can be in for thinking up ideas and things. Right. Is that, is that the neuroscientist on the panel? Is that <laughs> I mean, I true? think so. One of, the, one of the things that's really interesting about primate brains, and you see it if you go to like, the zoo, we, we're, we're just constantly seeking novelty. Mm. And if you give us stuff to do, we'll do it. But if you give it a bit of space where you are creating your own novelty, that's when your brain can go off in all sorts of directions because that's what it wants to do. It pretty much never just stops until you go to sleep or die and that's um, so it's, it's like this if you can let that machine keep running and give it a bit of space to do that i mean it's 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 actually it's whatever you want to call it but you know that kind of mood when you find yourself like oh hang on almost like you've been working things out without realizing it and that's not something that happens if you're completely occupied doing something else it yeah, just yeah. will never occur yeah, so, yeah. so in the workplace that novelty could be new noise yeah. so whether that's being dragged into a meeting or checking stuff on social media and then you've not got that space to then yeah. Have you produced your own novelty? Curious and, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I understand. So quick, quick fire, a couple of questions to finish. So funniest personal, funniest team <laughs> you've ever worked in? You can't say Peter Kay. Um, and biggest dickhead? <laughs> it's been recorded. You uh, edit it out if it's Biggest depends. dickhead. Um, funniest person, I'll answer that first and then we'll move on. Um, Leslie Douglas, when I worked at Radio 2, um, she uh, was the controller at Radio 2 um, and she was just great fun in all meetings. I remember being interviewed by her for the job and I thought, I could go for a drink with you. Yeah. And I knew if I was off the job, I was going to say yes because of that reason. Right. She was so great. She so was indivi- great. individuals can make a huge uh, difference. Yeah, it made a huge difference because I knew that she was, she was kind of at the head of that so everybody else was kind of yeah would follow that lead yeah 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 so it is a leadership issue is it yeah jeff what do you think no my, mine isn't um mine isn't a leader it was uh a, a, one of the other djs craig cash who went on to co-create the royal family and early doors and he was just so funny and we all got fired off the radio at quite a similar time and they were all right they went on to 
you know, create Mrs. Merton. They did give me a job eventually, actually. I, was, I had a job which was just fetching Benson and Hedges and Asti Spumanti for Caroline <laughs> on the nights they were recording. But, um, but so I had to go and work in a video shop and there was a fax machine there. And the, the fax machine, the, when they were writing Mrs. Merton, the amount of faxes I would receive that were just sort of drawings of either genitalia or bubbles. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which that was part of our process. Yeah. 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 Some things are best left in the past. Sophie. Um, I, had a, I had a PhD student who was very, very funny. Right. She really was extremely funny. I miss her a great deal. And did she create a certain atmosphere in the in the office or in the? Um, yes, yeah. and just I mean, I was actually trying to draw it out on Facebook yesterday. I was in Sweden. I thought, oh, something's happened. She might find funny if I put this out here about she likes the Eurovision Song Contest. So I was like try, trying to get her to be funny on my page specifically because I knew it would make me laugh. Stuck in the middle of Sweden as I was yesterday. Yeah. Um, and absolutely, it's it was delightful. Okay. So my very, very, very last question. If you were running for election for the more laughter at work party, what would your suggestion be? What can we do? What can people in this room do? Abolish meetings. Abolish meetings? Abolish meetings. Abolish meetings, okay. (laughs) Apart from the ones that are about crisps. Yeah, I mean, just like, that's messing around, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, crisp Thursday. Crisp Thursday. Yeah. You're taking that one back yeah. from the office. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I say, I work on my own a lot of the time. So. <laughs> so you just get a whole pack of Pringles yourself. in the loft. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the very Moorish. Once you pop, you can't stop. Yeah. Paul? I think I'd get rid of company values, and I know we've not touched on that massively, right. but it kind of it irritates me when the senior guys in a business go, these are our values, and nobody underneath them talks about them. Right. They're like, are they too pointless. restrictive? I think they're really restrictive, right, yeah. Right, right. And they might have one in there that's have fun, but then don't do anything to have fun so I'd get rid of those yeah yeah Yeah. Sophie what would your kind of manifesto item be I think something similar actually we we tend to be certainly in academia there's a move to try and make us behave um in a way that's kind of in line at all times with the views of the university and it's completely completely at odds with how anybody normally works and it stops you doing anything fun or interesting obviously you don't try and destroy the university that that's a given okay yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. you work there that wasn't your aim and exactly so you exactly you, the freedom to, yeah. to actually manage this the way you'd like to yeah take a little bit of the restrictions and the free and the pressure mm-hmm. away cool okay all good so thank you to the panel thank you Paul Pant and Jeff thank you Sophie I hope you got some ideas and I, I mean my takeaway is you know genuinely individual people can make a difference here so if we all go yeah. back and just inject a little bit like more humor into work we'll all have a all have a nicer time thank you thank you very much thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening. All the previous episodes are at eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. If you're new today, there's some ASOL episodes. The Dan Pink one's good. There's a really good interview with Daniel Coyle. There's lots of fabulous stuff there. Do send us your feedback. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm Bruce Daisley. Or you can tweet us by searching Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. See you next time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 